it certainly, uh, as one of your pastors, to get to uh, to speak, you know, and, and do be a part of the message team through these years has been um, it's been a gift. Sometimes it's been the most stressful part too, particularly our Corinthian series. That was that was a rough one. <laughs> um, that's right. Uh, I remember the first message that uh, I got to share, and we were at Old Ridgewood Belcher, the good old Belcher Community Center, um, and we uh, I was co-preaching with Charles that day, and um, you know because he wasn't sure if he trusted me yet, and <laughs> I think he wanted to co-preach with me today too because it was he wasn't sure what bombs would be thrown but um, you know I reflect back at that moment and we're we're new to Dallas you know we've we've been asking God where where should we be in life and now we're here and I'm getting to preach it was outside and in uh, at Ridgewood Belcher and um, I just reflect back on on how interesting it is how God moves our different paths in different ways and how even just like one or two choices differently. And, you know, would we be in this place? Would we be together with the people that we're with? And how um, amazing and mysterious it is just that we find ourselves in this moment together. Um, As Ted shared last week, we were talking about mystery and Advent. And um, our men's group, has been reading a book with very big words, written by N.T. Wright, very confusing words. And in one of the latest chapters that we were discussing, he was talking about the effect of the Enlightenment period on on the Western church's reading of Scripture. And uh, one of the observations is just that as kind of before the Enlightenment, power, authority, um, control kind of rested outside of us, like in uh, people in, in God or in the church or in you know, magical ways out in nature. And so part of the enlightenment is bringing control kind of inside the person. The person is now in control of their destiny of the world. We see science and technology learning how to control the world around us and use it for our, our, our needs and kind of manipulate it. Um, we see a sense of gaining control even over scripture, over God, through uh, theology and through historical study to where we can know everything that scripture is trying to say. Like we can dig in and we can understand it all. And I see kind of in this, the, the part of the result of the enlightenment is this idea of we need to control things. And that's kind of the opposite of saying, hey, it's okay that there's some mystery. Because mystery is like, I don't understand this. It's mysterious. I don't know what to do with this. And things like God and scripture and where we come from and where we're going, these are big things. These are big mysteries. But I don't think our world, at least the Western world, wanted to have those mysteries anymore because we couldn't control those things anymore. So those things have been pushed in many ways to the side because we couldn't control them. Or we try to control them and then, you know, we end up with really stilted readings and we have factions and all the things that we've ended up with. And so part of, I wonder if delving into the mystery and opening ourselves up to that is some kind of release of control, the sense of I'm not going to hold as tightly. I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to, to know everything, to understand everything, to, to be over everything. I'm going to let other things kind of speak to me, to be over me in some ways to kind of affect me from the outside. 
Um, and so as we approach uh, our scripture today, which is the one Ben read in a moment, and I want to reread that together again and talk about it. Um, certainly, like the teacher in me, when I read scripture, I'm like, I'm thinking immediately of how am I going to explain this? How do, how do I say this in a way that it makes sense? In fact, like it, it frustrates Julie because when we've sat down and we've worked on lessons together, like I'm already like halfway through a lesson after about five minutes. She's, she's like, wait, a, you know, like, how do you do that? That doesn't make sense. And it's just it comes naturally to me that way. So it's really hard also to kind of sit back and say, I'm not going to explain, you know, like we're not going to have the answers to this. But what if we just let the text? What if we sit with it? What if we observe it? What if we experience it and see kind of what's mysterious and strange about it? So let's practice that this morning. Um, if you want to grab a Bible or grab your phone, let's read it together. And so what I want you to look for, what I want to hear from you, is where you see mystery in this text. I don't want you to tell me the answer to the mystery. I just want you to tell me what the mystery is. And yes, yeah, Sarah, if you want to pull that up on the, on the screen, too. We'll read it. I'm going to read from the TNIV, and I don't know if it matches the one behind me. Oh, I'm sorry. Matthew 3, verses 1 through 12. Just open the Bible and see what happens. Matthew 3, verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and all the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So where do you see mystery in the text? Yeah, the coming wrath, just in terms also maybe of our comfort level with that language. Yeah, I was struck by the same thing. I wondered, uh, do they have different expectations of what that wrath was? Is the wrath John talking about, is that the same one the Pharisees and Sadducees were anticipating? What does this even mean to flee? It's just a weird sentence. Yeah, yeah. And what, what was the, what's the relationship of God to the coming wrath mm-hmm. and to the the uh, uh, the burning of the chaff with unquenchable fire. Why does the fire have to be unquenchable? <laughs> like, can't you just burn it and then it's gone? Why? Why unquenchable? 
What else is mysterious to you? That he ate what what happened in his life path that he ends up in the wilderness with camel hair and he's like, I'm going to have to eat locusts and wild honey. Like, is that the option? Like, is that where his parents in? Honey sounds great. Wild honey. That's it. You dip the locust in the honey. Mystery solved. That's, yeah, that's a mystery. How does the camel hair work? How do you catch enough locusts? How do you catch enough locusts? Yeah. It's a rough life. Mystery. Okay. Well, the leather belt. Mentions the leather belt. Why? Why the leather belt? Um, one more, one more mystery that you notice. I'm just thinking in the midst of all of that, like he seems like a crazy person that says you know, people were coming out to him from the whole region confessing to him. Yeah. And he's like, like this guy who's dressed in camel hair and a leather belt eating locusts. Mm-hmm. So they were like, what's all going on? Like something was wrong. So they've heard about the wild man out in the wilderness by the river, and that his in his words and his message. Are pretty pretty strong, pretty. I mean, to 2019 Dallas Texan ears, you know, pretty harsh kind of language seems like to me, and uh, and yet they go on this journey like they're seeking out this weird guy that has kind of strange things to say. Um, I want us to think for a minute about this idea of like seeking out the, the mysterious, seeking out what we don't understand. That's kind of intriguing. Um, I don't know if you've ever, if you feel that pull in your life. I think I can notice in myself this, this sense of being drawn to kind of the more mystical, the more, um, the stuff that can't be explained as much. I, uh, even as a teenager growing up in the church, I, I was really, I really wanted God just to show up and like talk to me. I wanted to, I want to have like this encounter even before I could, I would become a Christian and get baptized. I wanted, I would pray. And I was like, God, why can't you just show up? Like, I want you to just show up here. What's the problem? Send an angel. Um, and then when I did become a Christian, I ended up we at Harding University and um, kind of around some like-minded friends that are also uh, kind of interested in these experiences of God. And we would go to these conferences, like revival kind of worship conferences, and, uh, and try, try to have these kind of, kind of meet God in these unique sort of ways. Um, I don't know what the rest of you did for fun in uh, college years. That was like, we went to worship conferences. So um, we went to this one that was outside of Dallas, and it was uh, a passion conference. Anybody ever go to passion? Yeah? Okay. And so this was somewhere north of town, and um, it was out in this big open space. And somebody had, like, donated their farm or something. Maybe it was uh, out by Gary's, where Gary's family lives. And... Um, I just remember driving from Arkansas to Dallas, and then we go and we park out in this in this field, and you have to walk, you know, through hundreds and hundreds, thousands of cars. I don't know how many people were quite were there, but we you walk up finally to this group of people, and I was used to Harding chapels where there's like 3,000, 3,500 people, and the size of this group out there just dwarfed that. I don't know how many people there were, but it was just like 
Jesus feeding the 5,000, you know, plus the women and children kind of thing. It was a huge crowd, and there's a huge stage set up. And so we're, we're out there with all these people, and then they bring out all the different great speakers. And I remember hearing Beth Moore speak for the first time, and she, like, blew it out of the water. It was so good. And I was like, this is awesome. This is great. And then the sun's going down, and they bring it, and one of the worship bands comes out. And we're all singing songs that we know, and everybody's, you know, like, hands up, worship, and, and, and praising. And I'm just, like, and my, my friends and I are just thinking, we want God to show up in this dramatic way. You know, I'm thinking clouds parting and, you know, lights coming down and, and tongues of fire popping up on heads. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I wanted to experience. I wanted to experience God in this unique way because I was hungry for something more than what I'd experienced before. And so I, I kind of opened my eyes at one point after, you know, how many songs that we've sung and look around at this huge crowd of people. And as often happens when I felt like God was actually communicating with me, it was definitely not dramatic bolts of lightning. It was like a very still kind of small voice, kind of the Elijah thing, where I was reminded of this idea, like, I promise to live inside you. That's kind of what I heard. So I'm looking around at all these people, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, God said that he was going to indwell in us by his spirit. And, like, I'm looking outside, waiting for this dramatic thing to happen and what if God was a lot closer than I thought? What if God was already here in some way and I just didn't recognize it? And so I, I walked away from that a little bit changed, just like a little, my expectations just a little bit changed. And, and that was kind of one, of one of the little seeking after the mysteries that I, that I had, that, that I had this encounter with. Um, when I think about some of the people seeking out John the Baptist, though, and then seeking out Jesus later on, it's not quite as kind of nice and, and tidy as a 20-year-old going to, to worship conferences. It's people that lived under the thumb of Roman rule, that you know have to pay taxes to Caesar every year, who claims to be Lord over them, that's even a God more, more powerful than their God. And, and so hearing about this man talking about a kingdom of heaven coming near when they're under Roman rule, I think that would feel kind of weird. And like, what are, what are you talking about? How is that going to look? Because we're, we're like, I have to go pay taxes to Caesar next week, right? I'm being, we're being kind of told what to do because we're in occupied territory. So where is God when my freedom's taken away? Where is God in that moment? Uh, I think about the people that would seek after Jesus that had been suffering for years and years with different types of illnesses and ailments and um, just all the different ways people suffer. And uh, the story comes to mind of, of the woman that had been bleeding for all those years. And then she hears that Jesus is coming to town. And so she like fights through the crowd and then she sees him walking by and she just reaches out just to touch his cloak. And then she does. And then like, zoom, you know, some kind of power goes out of Jesus. And she's just like, who touched me? And he turns around. And everybody's like, like, this is a huge crowd of people. What are you talking about? Like tons of people have touched you. He's like, no, like power came out of me. Someone touched me. And, and they have this exchange. And it, like, again, mystery. Like, how do, what's going on there? Like, why does touching and power coming out and Jesus feeling that? But then I have questions like, why did she have to suffer for all those years? Like, where was God before that? Um, what about the people that didn't get healed? Where, where is God in their lives? Um, why, where is God when, I'm, when we're having to suffer for a long period of time? And I know, like, I know some of 
us have had kind of a year of suffering um, in some ways. And, and, you know, one thing that I think about in that regard, kind of as an aside and kind of along what Sarah was lines of what Sarah was saying today, um, I've been thinking about suffering in the American church in particular and how it seems like when suffering comes along, uh, it's a real faith struggle for a lot of people. Like we experience some kind of suffering and we're like, our God that we've been taught to, about uh, doesn't seem to be big enough to, to fit that context, to fit that experience of suffering. And um, I, I'm, I also think about how um, many of us, uh, many in, the, in, in at least the Christian experience I, I've had, have been pretty well off, have had most of the things that we wanted and most of the things that we needed taken care of and had a pretty pretty good life, um, pretty good health. Um, we expect to live, you know, our 80, 80 years, and, and we don't expect for people to not uh, live that long or to, to have the problems that they might have. And so when suffering comes along and, and we experience pain or death or sickness that's unexpected, then all of a sudden we're like, God, I thought, I didn't think I was supposed to have this problem, right? Like, where are you? If you're good and you love me, then how could this be? And so our God isn't big enough to, to, uh, to fix that scenario in our minds. And um, I just wonder, like, if we haven't been discipled well or discipled each other well in terms of a theology of suffering. Like, how do we go through suffering and God be there? That when I've gone to other contexts and other countries, when I've gone to El Salvador and other places, and I even imagine the people who live in much harsher conditions, who live in much poorer conditions, who live under more suffering, more death, sometimes in slavery or hardship, and you look back through history, and there's this powerful, robust faith that they have through that. Somehow, they've been able to reconcile the mystery of a God that loves and a God that cares for them, and yet still they see suffering and they experience suffering. And I don't know that I've ever received that really well, like... um, that my God was not, has not been big enough to do that. And so that's just something I'm, I've been thinking about. Like, how does, how does God, how is God near in suffering and how do we experience that? So all these different ways that people might seek for God, for look for God, and, and wonder where he is. Like, is he close in this circumstance? And this is what they hear when they go to hear John, John the Baptist. Um, not John Oliver today, but um, John the Baptist says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, I know a lot of you are familiar with how repent uh, is different than confess. So if I'm going down a wrong path and I've done wrong things and I say, oh, I've gone down the wrong path, I'm doing the wrong things, So I'm confessing that I've done that. And then repenting is this idea like, okay, now I'm going to go down a different path. I'm going to change the way I'm living. I'm going to do things differently. So it's very action-oriented. So repent. Repent, when he says that, is kind of like change your direction. Heaven is coming near. And so they hear that, but then the question is still, what does it mean that heaven is coming near? What does that mean? Is it about to come? Is it close by? And... I don't want to try to, uh, for us to answer all of it. And I think the more that we dig into it, the more mysterious it's going to be. But let's, let's just kind of think about it a little bit here. In Luke 17, later on, people have now sought, off, sought out another 
uh, strange preacher uh, that uh, and, and Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. And so it says in Luke 17, 20 and 21, once having been asked by the Pharisees uh, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. And some translations say the kingdom of God is within you. So, okay. So, so John's saying, change your, change your life. The kingdom is coming near. Jesus is saying, the kingdom's coming near, but you can't see it. But it's all around you, or maybe it's inside of you. Still, still a lot of mystery in there, right? Still, I'm not sure that we have it. That we're much closer to the answer. Um, I'm going to ask you what you think in just a second. I, as I thought about it this week, the picture came to my mind of Doctor Strange, because <laughs> last week for Thanksgiving we were we watched a little clip from uh, Infinity War Endgame, and, and I remember that all the wizards they can kind of do their hand and circle in a circle motion, and then you can kind of magically hop from one place, and then you're into like a uh, a new place. They kind of you know transport through that. But I also remember from the Doctor Strange movie, they also could like go into this alternate like wizard universe sometimes. And I don't remember, I don't remember it well enough to remember that, uh, all of that. But just this idea that just right over here, like you just go through here and then you're in this alternate reality. And what if, you know, as I reached across the room here, my hand and arm disappeared and I was in some other place? Well, the kingdom of God is not so much uh, what I'm hearing, not so much about changing physical location from one place to another. But it's more like the rules that apply in one place don't apply in this new place. In, in the world where we get to kind of, we, we, we struggle, we, we see a little bit of good, but there's a lot of bad. You know, it's a world full that's broken by sin, by death, by injustice and suffering. But if we could kind of do Doctor Strange and, and do our hand and then walk into the kingdom of God, then all of a sudden, there's this place where what God wants to happen is happening, where healing is taking place, where uh, goodness is taking place, where justice is taking place. And so I hear Jesus saying, you know, the kingdom of God is coming. But then he also says later on, even in Matthew, he says, when you pray, this is how you should pray. Pray that your kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. So there's this idea that the, the kingdom is at hand, it's close, but we also need to pray that it will come, that it will come uh, in our lives and all around us. And so there's this mystery of it being present, but also not being fully present here. And so John, when he says uh, that this alternative reality of the kingdom is really close, that it's arriving, that you can start to touch it and taste it, maybe. He says this is what it looks like. He's going to explain it all for us. It looks like a fruit tree bearing good fruit instead of bad fruit. So we get another metaphor. <laughs> we don't get a great, another clear explanation. He says it's, a fruit, it's like a fruit tree bearing good fruit instead of bad fruit. I think it, it, it might look like you and I and our church, our community, starting to see the good things of God bubble up inside of us and around us, in our lives, in our community, and the evil 
that's starting in us and then in our communities being rooted out, being chopped out, being thrown into the fire to be burned up. So this this sense of the goodness of God being built up in our lives and the world and the, the evil that's been holding us down starting to be ripped out and replaced by that good. And that's one of the pictures of the kingdom of heaven that, that I see John talking about in this call to repentance. And so he's saying, change your life because the kingdom of heaven is near. And this is kind of what it looks like. So what does that feel like to you? If you heard John the Baptist kind of giving you that call this morning, repent, the kingdom of heaven is coming near. How would you respond? What would, what would be going on in your heart? some sort of freedom that's being brought into the picture, at least as an option. Okay. What else? What else do you hear? In the line of the verse, uh, the kingdom of God is not meek nor great, but righteousness, peace, and joy. Mm. So we're in the holiday season, a lot of meat and drink thoughts going on, a lot of preparations, a lot of thinking out. Uh, but because the world wants to say, come here, buy this, enjoy this, you know, indulge in that, and, and that's amusing, but, 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 but the kingdom of God is peace. Mm-hmm. And, and righteous peace and joy. I thought I was saying last Thursday about six other senior uh, citizens to women, and uh, they've all got ailments, they've all got pains. They all go to see doctors and specialists and cardiologists and the foot doctors and whatever. And they don't, they said, they have no idea about suffering. They've not been trained to, to they, they, they pray for God to heal them right now. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And they're really upset and supported in the patient. But God had healed medicine, treatments. They, they, they have no idea how to deal with any, with any discomfort. Uh, they're, not, look, they're not praying for peace, they're praying for healing. They're not recognizing, I'm thinking of my holiday times, uh, fraternity, uh, such fraternity, but a bunch of pagans at holidays, they, they get drunk, they want to get drunk, they want to party, they want to be put in they have no guilt, no shame, and, and they don't feel bad about it. But as a believer, if you start to go down the, the wrong path, the Holy Spirit inside convicts you this is not good, even next morning, next week. Because we, because the righteousness dwells in us, the kingdom is in us, mm-hmm. and He's a Prince of Peace. I mean, for me, my highest priority is to have peace of mind. Period. If it's not peace of mind, I go to God. I, I, I change my, my thoughts, my feelings, my eating, whatever, my sleeping to, to regain that I didn't have as a pain. Mm-hmm. Just didn't have. Now, for me, joy is really uh, my frontier learning. What is joy really? What's the joy of the Lord for me inside? Thank you, John. That reminds me of um, 
kind of contemplative prayer ministry. Uh, ben was talking about this recently, but just when I've felt a lot of unpeace this year, um, the practice that I feel like God's provided is this idea of, okay, stopping and then practicing very simple prayer to recognize that God is, is there and that somehow brings some sort of peace. And man, that I, I just cannot, I don't go there until it's like way too late and I'm like, life is crazy, I'm feeling crazy and then like, oh, I, sh- I probably should keep praying. Like that, that would be a good idea, but it's not a habit yet for me. Duncan, you were going to say something? Yeah, if I can give a, give a little bit of a what we're looking for. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of look at uh, Israel at the time and how much they wanted uh, the day of the Lord or the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was just a, a cry in their heart um, for justice to come, for God to be restored back to his proper place. Um, and them to be the people uh that there are legends of in their in their mythology, right? Is that there's just this mythology of legends um, when it was right. Um, and I don't know I don't know that I have that North Pole compass of something that I want that much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so hearing him say that to those people, um, and even if they didn't quite understand it they had this North Pole of want, of desire, yeah. that they wanted to see something happen. Yeah. Um, and so I think what, what strikes me is my lack of desire, my lack of the North Pole. Mm-hmm. Um, the, that there are times when, yes, I want it, um, but there's nothing like the cry of the whole people. You know, even if they're, they're looking in the wrong directions of one thing, yeah. Thank you for saying that. Hmm. A hunger, a hunger to seek after God in those places. Um, let me leave you just with one thought and a few questions, and then we're going to pray together. Um, one of the main things that John the Baptist, one of the main things that Jesus talked about was this kingdom idea that the kingdom was somehow near. It's a, it's a mystery that it's it's near, but it's not everywhere yet. It's close. You can kind of taste it and touch it and experience it, but it's not everywhere yet. And for them, as odd as that is, they said, this is really, really good news. Like, this is the best news the world has ever heard. And I think... For us to say, how could that be such, you know, what, what does that mean? Why is that such good news? That's a good question to ask. Because like Jesus is saying, the kingdom is near. This is good news for everybody. This is important. The kingdom is near. And so, I guess the question is, you know, how will we explore that? How will we seek that out? Um, where Where is God calling us to let go a little bit of control or what we we want to hold on to in order to explore a little bit more. Um, what is the wilderness that we want? We might want to go into and explore. Um, for those of us that are feeling wilderness in our lives right now, is God, could God be there? Could we meet with God in that spot? For those of us that are feeling lost right now, 
could God be near to us in those moments? To those of us that are suffering or that have been walking with people that are suffering, could God be near into those people? And for those of us that have not been able to understand what God is doing or calling us to or what faith is all about, could God be near to you in that moment? Um, Jesus talked about this kind of crazy kingdom. And then he also said that if you're seeking after it, there's good news. He says in Matthew 5, if you ask, it will be given to you. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open to you. And just in case they didn't get it, he said it a second time right, right after that. He said, for the, everyone who asks, receives. Those who seek, find. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I, I especially want uh, to lift up those of us that feel a lack in our spirits, um, a question of where you are, even how to go about seeking you, um, that wonder if your kingdom could be near to them. But maybe we have a lot of doubts. It just feels like it should have been there already. That it should, we should have noticed you already in that spot. Maybe we've been waiting for you for a while, and we're just like, I just don't know if you're going to show up. And I think about the people of Israel waiting and waiting and waiting um, for you to show up, and how Christmas is this picture, Advent is this picture of you arriving. And God, we are desperate for you to arrive. We are desperate for you to come. And fix the broken places in our, ourselves, in our bodies, in, in the questions that we have, in our neighbors, where there's been hurt and pain and brokenness, uh, where the church has done wrong, uh, where we have done wrong, um, where the world is just unjust. Uh, we are waiting for you to come. Um, but Lord, if you're there already, if you're near at hand... Help us to see you. Open our eyes to be able to see you and to be able to taste and, and, and know that the kingdom is near. Uh, we long for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.